0: The Redshirt Collective,
1: a Star Trek watch along podcast where we analyze and talk about all seven seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation from a radical leftist perspective.
0: So energized with Earl Grey tea and chocolate from The Replicator,
1: set your phasers to fun
0: and prepare to engage. Ready, Captain?
1: Yes, Captain. Make, Make it, it so. so. Welcome
0: aboard. Hey, Mike.
1: Hey, Nick. So, uh, you know, same question that I've always got for you. What are we talking about today?
0: (laughs) Uh, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, Today we're talking about season one, episode five of Star Trek Next Generation, where no one has gone before. Uh, The one in which Wesley is compared to Mozart.
1: (laughs) Ah, yeah, because, you know, we couldn't compare him to anything else (laughs) (laughs) except for some kind of European (laughs) composer.
0: Of course. Mm -hmm. I had so many alternative, uh, you know, little summaries for today's episode. But I feel like, you know, where Wesley officially becomes the most special boy in space was one of them. Like, we knew, but now it's official.
1: How about where we become officially jealous of his sweater collection?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to... One of the working alternative titles was the one in which Wesley wears that orange sweater.
1: So good. So good.
0: Oh, it's a great sweater. It is a great sweater. Yeah, I think you and I are very excited to get into this today because this is the first episode that feels like actual next generation. We don't have to deal with any racism. We just mm-hmm. get to have fun today.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was, you know, I gotta say that was my sense when I when I was watching this. I was like, oh yeah, this is why I fell in love with this show. It's episodes like this one where I'm like, ah oh, yeah, okay, now we're now we're into it.
0: Yeah, I know. I had the same feeling of like, oh yeah, like this is my Star Trek. This is what I was waiting for.
1: So if we have any listeners left by this episode, <laughs> they are in for a treat. Yep,
0: <laughs> uh, we all we all made it through. We all slogged through, and now we get to have fun.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get to it.
0: Season 1, Episode 5. This episode opens with the Enterprise rendezvousing with the USS Fearless to pick up a Starfleet propulsion expert and his assistant so they can run some tests on the Enterprise's warp drive engine as they have done on two other Starfleet vessels. As we meet Picard and Riker on the bridge, we overhear Picard refuting Riker's apparent apprehension about the visit. We're reminded that although Riker is often played as a meathead, he's actually pretty smart and understands propulsion well. Riker claims the propulsion experts uh, and the propulsion expert's name is Kaczynski. His specs are gibberish. Data backs up Riker's claim, explaining that they already ran a controlled test with Kaczynski's specs and there was no improvement in engine performance. Riker can only speculate that the two ships that have already had these tests run had shown improvement because they're older models, but perhaps because Enterprise's engines are so new, they're receiving no benefit. (laughs) Hmm, Convenient. Yeah. Picard then sends Riker to meet Kaczynski so he can talk to him about his concerns and agrees to let Riker bring Troy so she can use her mostly useless semi telepathy on him to see what's up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kaczynski beams over with his assistant, immediately demanding to know why Captain Picard is not there to greet him, establishing himself as an arrogant little shit. I'm glad we're
1: easing into it and really oh, just yeah. you know pulling a lot of punches on Kaczynski yeah. here.
0: I yeah. really tried to like you know take a take a neutral view of the situation.
1: I mean, he embodies every like middle-aged white man who's been in any kind of position of moderate yes. authority. So you know we we get that. Yeah, he
0: reminds me of like all of the upper management at my last job. Of like, they were all just so fucking incompetent, but they would just stomp around like little mm-hmm. czars, you know, just acting like they were king shit. And you're mm-hmm. like, we're holding everything together despite you, not because of you. Right.
1: Yeah. I think you could have Ugh. said that middle to upper level management at any job. Any
0: job. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Any company, anywhere on the earth.
1: Mm-hmm. Or in space.
0: Or in space, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Kaczynski's assistant is dressed in a shiny silver jumpsuit and has a highly sculpted forehead. So we know right away he's an alien, as if, as usual, an extremely humanoid one. We find out the alien's name is not pronounceable by humans, and that he's from Tall Alpha C, which apparently is very distant, before the conversation is rudely cut off by Kaczynski, who cannot bear to not be center of attention for more than seven seconds. As Kaczynski rudely pushes his way out of the room to to engineering, Riker and Troy have an incredibly stilted conversation about him. Troy agrees with Riker's assessment that Kaczynski has a bad deposition, di- or sorry, bad disposition, adding that she is <laughs> so also picking, I know. <laughs> also, adding that she's picking up that he is arrogant, overbearing, self-important, and very sure of himself and his ability.
1: Well, based on that judgment, I am also apparently a zoid, Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Same, same. Um, it's funny because that didn't come up on my twenty three and Me, so I'm gonna have to yeah. reach out to customer service and be like, um, "Excuse me, what's up?"
1: I know that is really bizarre that they wouldn't have picked <laughs> that up. I mean, obviously. I uh.
0: Uh, when asked about his mysterious assistant, Troy says that the that with most life, oh my god, with most <laughs> life forms, <laughs> she can feel something whether she's able to interpret it or not but with the assistant she feels nothing empty space as though he isn't even there mm. um which i want to point out this is also like the third time she's had this inability to sense or read someone so it's really not very rare <laughs> but
1: yeah and and i felt like and i felt like they kind of had a missed opportunity with it because i liked how she said in the episode that like I can normally feel something even if I can't quite put my finger on what it is. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like that nuanced approach to emotion because I feel like that's something that is so often missing from especially this type of show in this time period, you know, is like this idea that, that maybe you can't put your finger on something, but you can still feel it. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that's really good. Um, But instead, it kind of comes across, like you said, more as a plot device rather than like a nuanced exploration of, you know, the possible emotional frequencies of like non-humanoid beings.
0: Yeah, especially since as this episode progresses and as we talk to this mysterious assistant later, it does seem to come through that like he is just very alien and Mm -hmm. the way that he experiences reality is just so different from us. So Mm -hmm. it would have actually fit thematically with the episode for her to be like, oh, I'm sensing something, but I just can't, I can't interpret what it is. You know, it's just so... Alien to me that like my brain can't can't like grasp what it is. Yeah, but instead they just have this like empty space. Like he's not even here. Yeah, which I guess plugs into the phasing in and out that he does later. But it, it just feels very lazy and like you said, like a missed opportunity.
1: Yeah, because I mean, imagine a show that was like, going to explore the range of emotion and like the range of experience that that different beings have. And, like, even, even tied into more, like, you know, maybe, for example, like, indigenous understandings of the way that, that our world operates. Um, but instead, they kind of, like, go right back to the sort of, like, scientific revolution Is somehow still the only thing informing the Starship Enterprise, you know? You know, Um, and and so I I was like, "Ah, man, guys, come on! This is so good. We were so close to something really cool here."
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and given that the show does put some energy into—I mean, usually it doesn't do it well, but it does try (laughs) to talk about how you know they're meeting different cultures Mm -hmm. and. They have to have this understanding that, you know, other cultures are different. There might be stuff that they don't understand. And yet, yeah, they just don't seem to ever follow through with that in, a, in any significant kind of way. Yeah. So following this comment, uh, Troy expresses concern, you know, just general concern. And Riker tells her to stay concerned for the safety of the Enterprise as he narrows his eyes suspiciously into the distance.
1: With ominous music playing.
0: <laughs> exactly. Which ends up being kind of weird in hindsight because she basically isn't in the rest of the episode. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> They're also having this conversation in the doorway, which I understand for like filming purposes why, but it's also uh-huh. just weird to think about two senior officers having this conversation like in the doorway
1: of just an sort of cash like a really <laughs> yeah, public just, like, area yeah hey yeah, you know I, our I, ship might like blow up but it's all good like let's talk about that <laughs> <no>. right here
0: <laughs> can you imagine being one of the poor just like low-level employees walking by and just being like oh my god yeah <laughs> like, should
1: i be worried yeah you're i didn't think about that you're right though like troy just like disappears from the episode after this <laughs>
0: yeah, point she's just gone <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, Riker's like, keep an eye on things, because yeah. we don't care at all what you think for the rest of this episode. See you later.
0: He's like, keep an eye on things, but also don't come anywhere near us or anything that's happening.
1: There's got to be, what do you call Is it? Is it B-roll? Is that what you call it? Like, there's got to be some extra footage of oh, like, yeah. of like, Troy from this episode, like the, the scenes that didn't make the final cut to the episode, because like, it is kind of weird that she just is like, suddenly gone from the episode.
0: I know. Or maybe they realized it was just ridiculous to have her constantly being like, I can't read him. I don't I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, they're like, okay, guys, we've already done pain, great pain. Um, we've, already, we've already done joy and happiness. Um, yeah, and
0: confusion.
1: And confusion. I think we're done. I think that's all she yeah. can offer us for this season. We've,
0: we've hit all the emotions. What, what is left?
1: We've done all of them. <laughs>
0: She's also very good at picking up on arrogance, it, mm-hmm. like extremely obvious, outwardly expressed arrogance. She's really good with that.
1: So insightful that, <laughs> yeah, because mm-hmm. I would never have figured out that Kaczynski no. was arrogant without that.
0: Yeah. Like yeah. he definitely, the, I feel like the actor just really underplayed the arrogance mm-hmm. of his character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, It was very subtle. So like, thank God she was there to clue us in. So after this uh, very illuminating conversation, we are relocated to Engineering, where we see Kaczynski enter as if he's head of a royal delegation, (laughs) immediately pointing his finger at Wesley Crusher, asking, why is this child here? Which honestly could be an audience stand-in tagline for seasons one through four. (laughs) So fair.
1: (laughs) Also, at that point, I was just like, you can fuck right off Kaczynski.
0: Like, yeah, don't I mean, point at my sweet baby boy. Yeah. What don't, do don't you
1: talk to Wesley like that in front of me.
0: <laughs> Wesley could fucking engineer your ass under a table, all oh, right? Pff, yeah. Ignoring him, the chief engineer, who is a <laughs> random actor we have not seen before and I don't think we ever see again, mm-hmm. <laughs> who has also been assigned to work with Kaczynski, asks about the gibberish specs that were sent over, but is interrupted by Kaczynski's posturing and preemptive explaining as to why they had no results during the controlled test. I want to point out the scene was amazing to me because Riker is like very awkwardly in the background of this scene, just looking pissed and irritated. But he's like not part of the conversation. The way it was filmed was just so awkward and weird. And I just loved every second of it. Like the senior officer is just like in the back, kind of just awkwardly hanging out, not really (laughs) saying anything. And it'll cut away to where the chief engineer and Kaczynski are talking Uh and you forget that Riker's still there. And then they'll have another shot where he's just kind of in the back. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And just looking pissed. And I'm like, oh, this is is beautiful. It's little touches like that that make me love this show because there's something very real about it. Like Uh you can imagine this happening in real life where you have like, Your manager is coming with you, but you're the expert and you're having this conversation. You know what I mean? And they're just like standing there in the background getting annoyed with what's happening.
1: Oh, yeah. It's like Riker getting out mansplained by the mansplainer in chief. (laughs) And and he's just like, "Mm, normally I do Mm. the mansplaining on this ship.
0: I don't know what's (laughs) going on here, but I don't like it.
1: (laughs) Also, we should make that 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 random engineer should just be an honorary red shirt because it's like
0: oh he should be. We haven't really
1: had a lot of like red shirt fatalities at this point, so you know that's the it's, thing
0: is like I don't think that there's a ton in in next generation because I yeah. feel like not many people die.
1: I know, I know. In general, yeah.
0: So you know, we probably named our show a bad name, but it's okay. <laughs> that's,
1: I love our name. I'm I um, love our name. Yeah, I stand I'm, by uh, it. Me too.
0: We'll just say it's an ode to our comrades' past, you know? Uh Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So Kaczynski essentially says that they are too dumb to understand his specs (laughs) and that no one on the other ships understood them either. As most insecure, mediocre white men with god complexes (laughs) do, he makes extremely aggressive and uncomfortably close, unblinking eye contact with everyone he refuses to explain himself to. And he downplays the competence of everyone around him. So think Gordon Ramsay, but less daddy, more incel. (laughs) (laughs) He says he doesn't have the time or inclination to explain himself to them. Uh, Riker tries to reestablish his dominance by swinging his big number one dick back at Kaczynski, telling him in his deepest bro voice that despite orders from Starfleet, they will not allow these changes to the Enterprise until Mr. Rando, chief engineer guy, signs off on them. Kaczynski, absolutely unfazed, again demands to speak to Captain Picard. Riker concedes that he could, but it wouldn't change anything. They have a stare-off, and Riker finally wins out when Kaczynski acidly asks him the burning question on every Instagram influencer's mind, how basic should I be? They basically say, fine, go ahead with explaining stuff to us. So Kaczynski begins the process explaining that his assistant will lay the base formulas Faster than any human could on a separate console, while Kaczynski will attune the warp drive system to his own exacting specific standards. Kaczynski proceeds to rattle off more nonsensical jargon in the background as we move over to see a conversation begin between Wesley and the assistant.
1: I just, can I just say too, like, I loved that dynamic where Kaczynski was just like constantly repeating nonsense and. It just, like, as somebody who is just a slave to the the system that exists and, like, punches a clock every day, I'm, like, the number of times that I've been subjected to that exact situation of someone that every single person on the Starship Enterprise knows that this guy is talking total nonsense out of his ass, but... Because of these, like, rigid hierarchical structures, we all just have to sit there and nod as if that's a thing. And meanwhile, our adorable little Wesley is just sitting there like, I'm not interested in what this asshat has to say, but this other dude over here seems kind of cool. I'm going to talk to him.
0: Yeah, he just immediately knows that this guy's full of shit. Yep. And he's like, this other guy seems like he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I got also massive flashbacks to... Yeah, working in a corporate environment and having to literally take like project notes from Mm -hmm. someone who is speaking garbage, like nonsense, Mm -hmm. and just trying repeatedly to clarify with them what the fuck they were talking about and getting nowhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just being like, okay, I guess we're just making it up as we go along. Yep. Like, what am I supposed to do with this?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it just, sometimes I'm like, am I the... Oh, I, I I can't possibly be the only one in this room right now who just knows that this person <laughs> has no idea what they're speaking about right now.
0: Yeah. 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 But, you know, it's emperor's clothes. Like, you all have to just yep. act like things make sense and you know what to do. And my yeah. favorite part is people like that also will see you as incompetent if you are like, I don't understand what you're saying.
1: Yeah, because you make no sense.
0: Yeah, it really does lend itself to this atmosphere of everyone's just pretending they know what's going on and nobody does.
1: Yeah, this dude, Kaczynski is like the equivalent of the dude in the office who like schedule sends emails for like 714 PM <laughs> so that it looks like he's still like, you know, nose at the grindstone, like getting stuff done. Yeah. When really he's like at home playing Fortnite with like a bunch of twelve-year-olds <laughs> <Exactly>. online. <laughs>
0: And it's always like some like, oh, he's checking up on something mm-hmm. that doesn't make sense to him, but like his email makes no sense yeah. and just causes chaos for everybody involved. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. For no reason. Yeah. It's the one that makes more work for everyone. And and then you're like, yes. wait a minute. Why? How does this one incompetent <laughs> person send an email and suddenly all of us are really busy and like- Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Man, Kaczynski, this is a cathartic episode. (laughs) I'm like, I have encountered so many Kaczynskis.
0: It's like, yeah, yeah, sure. There's a lot of philosophy about time and thought and space and whatever, but like really it's just cathartic corporate bullshit episode for all of us who have had to deal with managers like this. Yeah.
1: It's funny because I thought we were going to, like, I was so excited to talk about this episode for totally different reasons and now I'm just having this revelation (laughs) that I need to quit my job.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right? Exactly. (laughs) We meet Wesley looking at what the assistant has entered into his control panel with a pained look on his pretty little face. The assistant leans in close to him and asks if something troubles him with the way this is configured Wesley nods gently, and we zoom into what they're looking at on screen, which is a bunch of whooshing, oscillating lines. (laughs) There's just no way that those mean anything. No. But anyway, they were trying. It looks
1: like an email from Um, Kaczynski.
0: (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) like they keep talking about formulas but there's just this like whooshing graphic on the screen and it's like what formula are you looking yeah this is
1: what like you need to hire a physicist i think for the show just to like sit there and be like hey physicist guy like write up like random formulas that might mean something and let us put them on the screen please
0: (laughs) Or at least, like, make it lore that, like, they found some alien language that's the best for formulas and, like, that's what they use. Or there's some, you know, and then just put some, like, hieroglyphics up there, you know? Like, we aren't supposed to know what they mean, Uh but, like... They're always just looking at some image. It's yeah. like, that's not that's not data. That's not telling you no, anything. it's like, this, like sure. this looks like a... It's like looking at a graph with no numbers yeah. and then being like, oh, yes, like, I understand the numbers. It's
1: a high school geometry test. You're like...
0: <laughs> exactly. You're
1: like, Sokotoa? What? Like, sine, <laughs> cosine? What, what's going on here? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. Oh. Oh, uh, so P.S. Uh, Wesley is in the orange sweater uh-huh. and the 10 year old inside me has a funny feeling in her underwear. area. <laughs> also, I <laughs> would ironically wear that sweater today. Wesley was literally one. I think he was the first person I had a crush yeah. on. And, you know, in that phase where you're still a kid. Yep. So like you don't even really understand the feelings you're having. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah.
1: Also, if anyone would not wear that sweater, they need to stop listening to this sh- podcast right now. Honestly, like, yes, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to be a screen, a part of my screening process for all future friends and lovers. Mm. Oh, is yeah. like, would, would you wear, you wear, this, wear this sweater?
1: sweater? Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if no, uh, need not apply. So the assistant makes some adjustments and asks Wesley if that's better. Wesley says yes, but then makes some more adjustments of his own. And the assistant gets a very strange, almost elated look on his face. And some magical, cheerful tones start playing in the background. The assistant asks if Wesley thinks the specs will now do what Kaczynski says they will. And Wesley makes a few more adjustments before announcing with joy that he thinks now they will. The assistant looks at Wesley with love in his eyes.
1: (laughs) It was a really tender moment, I gotta
0: say. <laughs> yeah, I, I have some thoughts about um the vibes going on, which we'll get into later. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was there's a lot of like intimacy happening, which was kind of unexpected. But I also think like Will Wheaton is a very intimate actor. The more I yeah. have watched this show, the more I'm just kind of shocked at how even starting at like 15 years old, he just had this way of really like connecting with the other actors and Uh i don't know just the way he holds his body the way he talks kind of softly to people and makes really good eye contact Uh he just is a very intimate actor so yeah there's yeah there's uh some vibes going on in this episode but back to kaczynski and Riker, (laughs) who have very different vibes (laughs) going on uh, Kaczynski is literally spouting absolute gobbledygook nonsense at Riker. Riker agrees to let him try it after the chief engineer agrees with Riker that nothing bad could happen to the ship because everything Kaczynski's saying is meaningless. Kaczynski throws a tantrum at being spoken about in the third person while Riker and the chief engineer continue to just completely ignore him. They proceed with... The tests and everything seems normal at first, but then the engine starts pulsing real, real fast. Kaczynski asks the assistant what he's doing, and the assistant looks startled. And this is like the first time that Kaczynski has even acknowledged the assistant really in any kind of way. So we pick up that like, ooh, what's, you know, something's going on here. The assistant starts pulsing in and out of existence, and the Enterprise starts to travel at a speed that is quote unquote off the charts. Picard, in his usual wisdom, commands Data to reverse engines, even though he has no idea if it's safe to do so at these speeds. (laughs) When when the Enterprise stops... As as you do. As he does, yeah, for sure. He's like, oh, this has never been done before, let's do it and risk everyone's life. When the Enterprise stops, Data states that they have traveled 2.7 million light years, to which Picard gently whispers, I can't accept that. LaForge informs Picard that it would take them over 300 years at maximum warp to get back home, and even a message back to Starfleet won't be received for over 59 years. Kaczynski swaggers onto the bridge with Riker and the chief engineer in tow, absolutely gloating like a puffed-up toad. When Picard asks what happened, Kaczynski claims to have made a wonderful mistake, but his explanation of his actions is nonsense, according to Riker. And even I, someone with no enterprise training, knew that what he was saying made absolutely no sense. They did a really good job with his dialogue of just making it so clear that, like, he's just saying nothing. Yeah. But saying nothing in a way where it's really – again, it's very hard to, like, pin him down on it because he just keeps talking nonsense. I don't know. Like, I've I've met people like that where they just keep saying things that don't make sense, but, like, they will not – they, they just have this way of, like, continuing to do it where you're like, you start to wonder if you've gone crazy and you're just making stuff up.
1: Oh, yeah, because they'll double down on that.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> All day forever. Uh-huh. So back in engineering, we see Wesley worrying over the assistant who looks a bit sweaty and weak. The assistant claims he just needs to rest. Wesley asks him if Kaczynski is as much of a joke as he seems, but the assistant says, that's too cruel. That Kaczynski has picked up on some small part of what's going on. I think the assistant is being far too kind but whatever. Wesley asks if he means that space and time and thought aren't as separate as they seem but are instead connected. Something he thinks he understood from the assistant's formulas. To which the assistant very dramatically swings his head Wesley's way way with his eyes bulging with fear and importance. He grabs Wesley by the shoulder and commands him to never say that again especially at his age and especially in a world that isn't ready for. He then softens and grabs Wesley's shoulder again more affectionately as he leans in and says, such dangerous nonsense. Uh, more on that later. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> vibes, y'all. Major uh-huh. vibes. Vibes. Um, back on the bridge, everyone now is swinging their dicks around and the entire crew, <laughs> Data included, is glowering after Kaczynski as he skips off to wherever. Like, Data's bitchy bitch face was so amazing. Yeah. (laughs) They literally showed, like, every member of the crew just standing there, mean mugging Kaczynski. Yeah. It was amazing. Um, Picard invites comments from the crew about what the fuck to do. So, Mm. though he and Riker are very tempted to follow Data's advice and go check out a sexy new protostar that's in the process of forming... Picard eventually decides that the best course of action is to try to get back to Starfleet and then have them use Kaczynski's method to send out a pure science vessel for research later. Back in engineering, Kaczynski is being absolutely insufferable, stroking his own ego and peacocking around everybody. (laughs) Wesley, looking worried, goes to Riker to express concern and inform Riker that it was really the assistant who did something not Kaczynski, But of course, Riker is an absolute dick to Wesley for no reason and will not listen to him despite the kid having proven himself at least twice already in previous episodes.
1: Yeah, that was was so bothersome to me.
0: Especially like you're having a propulsion-related, science-related emergency situation and this kid has proven himself to be like a savant in that particular area and you're just not even going to listen to him at all. Like he was – he kept saying – Oh, I'm sure that's interesting and we can talk about it later. But it's like he's yeah. not trying to just chat about like what was interesting that just happened. He's trying to tell you something clearly.
1: He was literally standing next to yeah. the guy when the thing happened. He was working happened. on
0: the formulas with them.
1: Like, yeah, like like you, you don't want to take like eight seconds out <laughs> of your really busy dick swinging, right. you know? It's
0: like- and honestly, <laughs> even if Wesley did just want to talk about what happened in terms of him thinking it was interesting – wouldn't that have helped Riker understand what happened and maybe know how to fix it? Right.
1: No, I, th- that's not, I'm like, Riker is the least curious person. <laughs> I am like, how did you get to be a first officer? He,
0: I have no idea. And he, this is what I mean yeah. when he's, he just is played like a meathead so often because you would expect someone who just doesn't understand what's going on and is used to solving things through bravado to act that way. But then it's also episodes like this that remind you that like, no, Riker actually has a lot of technical like understanding and like actually does know how the ship works and can understand things like specs. And, you know, he's always down in engineering, helping to troubleshoot stuff. So it's like, how are you not? How are you not more curious and more patient and just like willing to look into stuff? It's just weird.
1: I know. Yeah.
0: Very annoying.
1: How, Riker?
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Riker. Oh,
1: okay. The anti-Wesley. Yeah,
0: he is the anti-Wesley, honestly. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So they start the process of reversing course with the assistant sitting back down in his station <laughs> despite Wesley's concerns that he's too weak. Right away, it's clear that something's wrong. The formula isn't working, and the assistant immediately starts phasing in and out. Riker sees this with his own alpha dog eyes and realizes he should have listened to Wesley, of course. <laughs> You think? The ship moves <laughs> briefly, and then it comes to a stop. Though Data says they never exceeded warp 1.5, they seem to be in an entirely different place, where none have gone before, as Data says. Hmm. Hey, that's the name of the thing.
1: Wow. Wow.
0: Picard informs us via voiceover that they have gone forward instead of back and are now in an uncharted and unknown place 1 billion light years from their galaxy. Scream face emoji. The crew begins to see impossible apparitions such as long dead pets or relatives. We get a cute moment with Worf and his pet Targ, which looks like a huge, adorable furry boar with spiny spikes along its back. And then later, a heartbreaking scene with Picard and his mama, um, who, by the way, was amazingly casted. She looked like she really could be his mother. Oh, yeah. I they did a great job with that.
1: Yeah. I have thoughts on that scene, so we can, we can discuss.
0: Excellent. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, there's a scene where Picard speaks to his mother about where they are and what's going on before she suddenly disappears. Uh-huh. And Patrick Stewart did a beautiful job. He just has this moment where you can see the grief. Yep. But also you can like almost visibly see him being like, I'm the captain. I have to like get it together and go back to work. He just did. Oh, it was like, that's where Patrick Stewart like shines, you know, in those quiet moments.
1: Oh, I mean, the way that he can, it's exactly like you said, the way he communicates in like one look this, like, desperate, emotional, like, overwhelm where he, like, knows that this isn't real and he can't give into it, but he's like, I've got to do it just for a second. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Uh,
0: I know. It was, yeah. Mm. It was masterful.
1: I know. He just he just wanted to give Picard a hug after that scene.
0: I know. Yeah. And it, it was, yeah, Picard to me is largely a pretty boring character. Uh-huh. I only like him because I like Patrick Stewart so much. So it just is a a shame that we don't get more of that from him in the show. Uh So I think it could have made Picard more interesting, at least to me. Um, But yeah, he did a beautiful job with that. So Picard after, you know, pulling his grief back in calls the red alert and announces to the crew that they seem to be in a place where reality and ideas intermix. And he cautions the crew to control their thoughts He's very much back to being an alpha dog in this moment. Yeah. He's like, control your thoughts. He's just like yelling at everyone.
1: <laughs> I know. I was having like religious trauma flashbacks. Like,
0: oh. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're like, I can't. I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: Control your thoughts.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: Or you're going to go to hell. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Anyway, more on that later. Uh, continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I think probably the scene with the guy and the fire in the hallway was pretty apt then.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, somebody was an evangelical in that writing room. <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>.
0: <laughs> You're like, I get, I see you. I get what's going on. <sighs> um, so Riker informs Picard that Kaczynski was never controlling the experiments, that it was his assistant all along, and that Wesley had picked up on it earlier. Picard, of course, barks at Wesley that if he knew something, he should have said something. Massive eye roll because no one ever fucking listens to Wesley I anyway. I know. I know. But Riker, to his credit, honorably defends Wesley, saying that the the boy they kept calling him the boy, the boy. in this episode too. so patronizing. <laughs> I know the boy tried to tell him twice, and that Riker didn't listen. He d-
1: Riker did redeem himself a little bit to me there, where Riker's like, ah, "Shit." I I screwed this one up. And he he owned it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He did. And the thing with Riker, I really had, going back into like a rewatch of the show, I had a very bad impression of Riker as just being like a dude and being really boring. But Uh Riker is actually an extremely interesting character. Uh Not necessarily episode to episode, but like his entire arc arc is very interesting. I
1: hear that. Yeah.
0: And he's very, he is very like honorable in uh-huh. a lot of ways uh-huh. you know um even though i also think he's kind of a pig and i hate that part of his character um but yeah this is where i think we we see the first glimmers of like who riker ends up becoming as someone who is like always going to do what he thinks is right
1: uh-huh. which
0: i do really respect about riker a lot and which comes yeah. into play like very in very interesting ways in later Later seasons,
1: I think that was one of the reasons I always tended to relate to Riker in a way, even mm-hmm. though he was like sort of this like kind of patriarchal like dipshit. Sometimes was that <laughs> like you know I mean okay sorry a little harsh there, but was it's f-
0: so such a funny word. I, I know
1: like it's it. a hashtag early nineties language here. Okay, um, <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to stay period appropriate with our language. <laughs> Um, but the fact that Riker was principled, but was somebody who really struggled to always live out those principles. And I think like, for me, I, like, I totally identify with that even now as an adult, like being somebody who considers myself really principled, but then sometimes has that like conflict of like, ah, what do I do when mm. I want to act in a principled way, but you know, but maybe there are things, other things prevent, you know, preventing me from that or other aspects of my identities that are like. You know, making that complicated. So I do kind of, he is kind of relatable. I mean, as with Picard, you know, you had this like glimpse of Picard's um, humanness. And I think you get those, that little glimpse of of Riker too, feeling like he failed because he didn't listen to Wesley. And you're kind of like, ah, if you weren't such like, you know, like such an arrogant jerk sometimes, like I would be so much more sympathetic to your, oh, I should have, we should have listened to Wesley. It's my fault, you know? It's, Mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, Oh, I'm just I'm excited to talk about future Riker episodes. Future Riker, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because he just he does he's he's a very interesting and I think tragic character, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which you wouldn't expect in these early episodes. You know, he just seems like the the stand-in for masculine ideals kind of character, and I jock. think I'm, yeah, and I, I probably do research on this as we go along, but. The research that I have done from what I understand of Jonathan Frakes, the actor who plays Riker, yeah. um, he seemed to have had a very heavy hand in a lot of Riker's better traits and mm. a lot of the show's kind of more progressive storylines. Okay. Um so I think that's kind of that's kind of cool in a way. It makes me really feel more affectionate towards Riker, knowing like how much of the actor is coming through him yeah. to try to do stuff that is more progressive and more interesting.
1: Oh yeah, for sure.
0: But more on that later. Uh, for now we have an assistant that is unconscious and apparently dying. Uh, Dr. Crusher says he has biology that is too different from humans for her to know how to help him. Despite her warnings that it might kill the alien, Picard forces Dr. Crusher to wake up the assistant with stimulants. Thanks, Picard. And my question is like, how can you wake him up with stimulants if his biology is too different from humans? But anyway, who cares? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Upon waking, the assistant is named as the Traveler who confesses that he's been trading his gifts with propulsion for passage on starships so that he can see and explore this universe. And I have questions, but moving on, we'll mm-hmm, mm-hmm. get to them later. We'll discuss. I love this episode, but this episode also made no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But anyway, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll discuss talk about that later. We will discuss. Um, so he wants to see and explore this universe, seeking transportation to see and experience their reality which, of course, insinuates he's from a different reality. Mm -hmm. Um, Answering Picard's questions about how they got where they are, the Traveler confirms that thought was, in fact, the secret ingredient, claiming that thought is the basis of reality, and the energy that creates thoughts is very powerful. Kaczynski has the fucking nerve to say, that's not an explanation to this, (sighs) prompting... (laughs) Prompting Picard to make a deliciously bitchy face in response. This episode was just so good for, like, character reactions. Oh, I loved it. Everyone was just making the best faces the whole time and just having the best reactions to stuff. Yeah. Especially when you, like, know Kaczynski's talking just complete bullshit.
1: Yep. But you're
0: kind of like, well, you know, this is a science show with like very squishy science. So maybe he's supposed to be saying something that makes sense. And then you look at the the other characters and their faces. You're like, oh, no, he is definitely talking nonsense.
1: Yeah. yeah,
0: Yeah. It was just so good. It brought me so much joy. The Traveler continues explaining that he has the ability to act like a lens that can focus thought. Kaczynski responds, that's so much nonsense, you're asking us to believe in magic, which could also serve as an audience stand-in moment for nearly every single episode of this franchise, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) The traveler laughs kindly and agrees that it must seem like magic to them, but Picard says it makes sense to him given the incidents that have been happening on the ship. The traveler says that the place they're in is basically made from thoughts and is not a place that humans should have been in for a long, long time until they learn control. When Riker demands to know why there's no record of anyone from his kind having visited them before, the traveler traveler laughs and says, "'What wonderful arrogance. There is no record because we have not visited you before.'" When Riker asks why not, the traveler states, Well, because up until now, if you'll forgive this, you've been uninteresting. Sick burn.
1: <laughs> I yeah, and, and, and can I just note too that the traveler here is like the anti Q You know, he's like, he's like so like kindly, yeah, like, like the Q, you know, are just like sacks of water and dust and, you know, (laughs) you suck, but we're going to fuck with you. And the Trevor's like, oh, sweet thing, you know, Mm -hmm. how, how arrogant of you. (laughs)
0: Well, and it's kind of nice to see um, a very gentle, almost effeminate man Uh patronize Riker and Picard. Yep. Who, you know, are just so like masculine and patronizing. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of funny to have him like basically pat their heads and be like, oh, that's cute. Like, Aww. no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. that's, yeah. No. Sorry, sweetie. <laughs> the traveler suddenly rolls his eyes back up into his head and breathes shallowly to remind us that they are having this ridiculous conversation with someone who is dying. And I'm not actually asked him any relevant questions like, how the fuck do we get home? The Traveler passes out. Picard orders Dr. Crusher to revive him again and for him to be brought to engineering. Wesley fusses over him, saying he's too weak. But the Traveler agrees that this is what needs to happen, but requests a moment alone with the captain first. When alone... He tells Picard that Raisly, <laughs> Raisly, went <laughs> alone. He tells Picard that Wesley is the most special boy in space. Oh. Uh, what he actually says is that Wesley is like Mozart, but with propulsion, and that the few special people that exist, like Wesley, are the reason that for his travels to this reality. Uh-huh. And he says that Picard has the opportunity to shape and guide Wesley's path, but should not reveal the truth of his gifts to anyone, especially Wesley's mother, because it's necessary for things to, quote unquote, unfold naturally. Mm -hmm. I have thoughts about that, but we'll get
1: to it. We'll discuss.
0: Picard back on the bridge. The crew is preparing to jump back home. Picard orders everyone on the Enterprise to put their thoughts on getting home and sending strength and support towards the traveler. As if he was someone that they care deeply about. Troy feels an abundance of well-being on the ship, and that feels quite wonderful.
1: But I think that could definitely be an episode rating for this episode.
0: Yes. (laughs) Quite wonderful. So the traveler seems to be struggling. The ship is not going fast enough to get them home. Wesley, looking flushed and panicked, jumps up and offers his hand to the traveler. They hold hands for a moment. And then the Traveler nods gently to him, phases in and out. The ship speeds up and the Traveler disappears as the Enterprise finds himself back in their galaxy. Picard orders the boy to be sent Uh. to the bridge. (laughs) Upon his arrival, Picard gives Wesley a well done for his support in engineering. He orders Wesley to sit at a command station, but Riker reminds Picard that there's a rule against anyone who's not an acting officer from being on the bridge, Mm -hmm. a rule that Picard himself set. Picard and Riker have a cute, if a bit patronizing, playful conversation about this until Picard finally makes Wesley an acting ensign, ordering him to apply to Starfleet Academy post-haste and commanding Riker to come up with a duty schedule for the the boy heavy on the study. We end with Wesley sitting on a bench I have never noticed before next to <laughs> Deanna Troy looking pleased as Punch.
1: As he deserves.
0: As he deserves.
1: Do you like, did you get a strong vibe of them basically predicting Silicon Valley tech bros with Kaczynski? Like, this whole, like, move fast and break things, you know, like, Mm -hmm. this whole kind of, like, pissing contest with Riker that sounds like two tech bros in engineering, you know, arguing over stuff. And it's, like, the the whole time with Kaczynski, I was, like, he is, like, everything that is Google, Facebook, you know, Microsoft. Like, he just, this one character embodies this entire vibe of something that wasn't going to happen until, like, 30 years later. But,
0: ugh. Ugh. You know, I didn't think about that, but now that you pointed out oh my god, yes. You know, and just just the the way that like these tech bros have become kind of like celebrities and a lot mm-hmm. of it is way more about your machismo mm-hmm. and your charisma. Um and people have this this idea that these guys are like super smart and super competent when a lot of times they're stealing other people's ideas yep. or They're just really good at marketing or whatever, but they're Mm -hmm. not actually that talented, Um, at least like within the tech realm. Um, Yeah, like you got that vibe quite a bit from this episode. Yeah. And then, yeah, having some like Riker who's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, just someone who's like, look, dude, I'm just trying to do my job and like make sure that things run smoothly. And I don't know what you're saying to me. But yeah.
1: And then I love that they juxtapose it because Wesley is the unequivocal hero of this episode. And yeah, absolutely. I love it that they juxtapose it with the innocence and empathy of Wesley. And I could have cried when Wesley goes, um, he's like, Is there anything I can do to help? I can call my mother. She's a doctor. You know, I'm like, oh, Wesley, oh, I know. you're so sweet. Like he's like he cares about this person. He's like, yeah, these are some cool equations and whatever else. But he's like, really, I just this is my friend and I want to take care of him. I was like, yeah, yeah, like definitely this is channeling some of the real like spirit of Star Trek that it's not through equations and, you know, bravado warp drives or- and yeah, and bravado that we have discovered anything, but it's through like empathy and care for people and curiosity about the world and compassion i was like oof. yeah yeah. thank you star trek for (laughs) for helping restore my faith
0: (laughs) yeah this is one of my top episodes to point to to show that so often when wesley saves the day it's he saves it via his connection with someone else and his oh, empathy, yes. not his technical know-how. Yes. Because, like, Wesley, you know, they easily could have wrote this episode where Wesley figured out how to do this time jump or this, like, space jump thing and gotten them back home. hmm uh-huh. But really, instead, they put him in the position of just noticing things and just being, you know, just really concerned for this person's well-being.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm.
0: And having that be such a foil to, you know, Riker being patronizing and not listening to him and Kaczynski being, you know, just so egoistic and and like, you know, walking around like a peacock and Picard, you know, just <laughs> running around being Picard. Mm-hmm. And then you have yeah, Wesley who's just being so soft and just affectionate and caring. And it was so funny cuz he was like a little mother hen the whole episode just kind of like fretting over this person mm-hmm. and just being really deeply concerned with mm-hmm. like his well-being. And it's like this person that he doesn't even really know. He just met him, but he got a good vibe off of him and he just cared about him. Yep. And I think that's Wesley Crusher in a nutshell. And we'll see that in future episodes that, you know, I think he got a bad rap is like, oh, he's this like magical boy who just like solves everything or Wesley always wins the day. But so often it's like this where it's really about him being someone who has listened and who doesn't have that. Yep masculine kind of front going. You know, he's really comfortable being very soft and being very curious and being very open. Yep. And so often that's how he wins the day.
1: And, you know, I was initially a little bit bothered when the traveler says, like, oh, the world's not ready for for him yet, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Because I was
1: like, no, the world just needs Wesley. But then I almost, like, I stepped back and I was like, or maybe the traveler just is, like, so deeply... Compassionate for this boy, and is like, oh, this like this boy is gonna get eaten alive mm-hmm. by like the tech bros, like Riker and Kaczynski, <laughs> you know, who he's probably seen in Spades, in yeah. you know, in Starfleet, and was maybe just like having this, like, you know, he said the world, the world's not ready, but more, it was just kind of like, you know, Wesley would be hurt by that, you know, because I, I was thinking of that, you know, as a parent, where you you know, with, with my, you know, with my oldest where I'm sometimes like, she's just like too, she's too good for the, you know, for the world, you know, and I have these moments where I'm like, oh, you know, so many of the hardships that she faces are because she's too good. It's not because, you know, it's, it's not because of, of something she did. And I I had that moment with Wesley where I was like, yeah, he's just too, we don't deserve Wesley. We
0: don't deserve Wesley. No. He is too good for her. He is too good for
1: this world.
0: And that's, you know, another way that I I feel like connected with Wesley as a kid, because Uh my mom used to say the same thing about me, like you're just too like sensitive and you're too not in a bad way, but just like she would explain like something would happen and she would explain, you know, like racism to me or sexism to me or whatever. Uh And I would just like fall apart. Mm -hmm. Because I couldn't understand how humans could do that to one another. Yeah. And she would always just be like, oh, child, this world is going to rip you apart. Mm -hmm. You know, she's like, this is, you know, she's like, you just don't. And in a way, she was right. You know, I I struggle with depression and I struggle with. um, Yeah, I just get super overwhelmed when I see bad stuff happening, um, especially to other people. And yeah, to have a character like Wesley, especially a boy, who it seemed had that same kind of sensitivity and that same softness and that same just like kind of inborn goodness, Mm -hmm. you know, was really important to me as a kid.
1: And as you said, it's his superpower, not his his downfall.
0: Exactly because that was I don't know if your daughter gets this a lot too but I was always told to be less sensitive you know it was like Uh. something I was told all the time Uh. and um, it was cool to see Wesley like his sensitivity was was usually how he was able to be the hero of the episode so it was cool to see him like for all the shitty ways he can be treated no one ever tells him to not be himself. You know, they tell him to shut up, <laughs> but no one's ever like, oh, you're too sensitive or you're too curious or you're too whatever. You know, it's more just like we're adults and we're stressed out, like go away, you're a kid. Yep. But I never felt like he was cr- criticized for like being who he was. And I never felt like he was, um, I don't feel like any of the male characters ever put toxic masculinity onto him. Mm-hmm. In the show, which I think is extremely refreshing when you think about it, like that's pretty groundbreaking, actually, Mm -hmm. in a way I can't think of any show that I've watched that had a like young male character in it who wasn't told to man up at some point or yeah be tougher in some way and and that that just never happened to Wesley. He was never talked to in that kind of way.
1: You're so right and I'm thinking even of the the power of him like, you know, being a male character, a young a young man. And I you know, I'm thinking that like even my own socialization into masculinity, you know, it's it's like it, yeah, at some point it's even if it's not verbally stated, it's implied that like, oh, you're too sensitive or oh, you mm-hmm. shouldn't be like that because you get what you want through dominance, not through love and compassion. And you're right. That is something that Wesley isn't, he doesn't become the victim of that, um, Mm -hmm. of that kind of, of that form of patriarchal socialization. So it is cool to see that.
0: And even, you know, it's subtle, but it's even one step further where in an episode like this Riker in a very small way has to challenge his own, Behavior, his own kind of toxic masculinity to be like, oh, I fucked up because I wasn't Uh listening to this kid. You know, Uh like having to realize and like come forward and and acknowledge that and apologize for it um, and acknowledge that to his superior. You know, I think that in and of itself is also pretty groundbreaking. Like not only is Wesley not critiqued, but the other characters are critiqued Mm. in the way that they treat Wesley through the plot line of the show. Uh Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, it's really cool. You know, I think if this show does anything extremely well, it's the way that it explores masculinity.
1: Yeah. Ugh, yes. Yeah. I'm thinking of one of my words of wisdom from this show, um, mm. was where- I was
0: excited to hear what you would pick out of, because there are so many good lines in the show. Ugh,
1: there were so many good ones in this, but the, one of them that jumped out to me on, along the lines, even of kind of exploring a little bit, like, you know- um, masculine responses to things, but there's that there's that moment where where Picard is like, "Where are we?" and they tell him they're in like M thirty three galaxy or something, I think. Um, which fun fact is a real place, um, you know. And I do like that Star Trek does that and is very committed to accuracy in their in their space stuff. Um, but uh, but Picard goes, "I can't accept that," and Data just goes, "You must, sir." <laughs> like I I I love that. He's like he's like but you have to accept that. And there's this great scene where um where Picard says, "Comment is invited," you know, in his like very, you know, masculine way, but he's like he's asking like what should we do? And we get these little glimpses of the personalities of each of the characters in that scene uh, based on what they want to do, you know? So you have um y- y- you know, you you have these kind of like different ideas like data saying, oh, we should stay here and study things. Um, you know, and, and, you know, Worf is like, oh, I don't think we should trust this guy. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Troy is like, he's convinced he's right, which is a hilarious comment on its own because <laughs> it's like, yes.
0: It's like, yes, babe, we know. That's, that's, <laughs> the,
1: that's the meme for like anything that any dude says. <laughs> it's like, you can just be like, he's convinced he's right. We should just get a recording <laughs> <Right>. of Troy. He's <laughs> carried around with you when you're out, you know, it's a, that might
0: be a good meme. We could have like a dotted line like a silhouette, you know, and just be like, insert man here. And the caption is like, he's He's convinced he's He's right. right. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, insert any man here. Oh, I like that. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I feel like this episode, I think that's why I also felt like, like our TNG, because it it did make space for the characters to start like really being themselves and really <laughs> kind of like showing their own perspectives and how they respond to things. And I thought that was, it was just nice. It was like, oh, yeah. here are my friends, you know, like yep. they finally shown up and we get to get, we get to know them in this more significant way than them just being these like very stale, not well fleshed out kind of caricatures or stereotypes.
1: Like Worf with his Targ.
0: Oh, so his sweet. tark was so cute. His by tark the way. was very was like, cute. That's an adorable little. I don't know what it was like. If it was a wild boar or something. Yeah. I also was like, that looks like a or maybe it was just a pig, but it they did a good job with its uh, wardrobe. <laughs>
1: it looked like a boar, though. You're right.
0: <laughs> but it did look like a wild boar to me. I, and I was say, like, damn. Okay.
1: The, the one exception, though, that kind of pissed me off was that, um, of course, like um, Yar is like, again, back to like the rape gangs. Thing. Dude, and I'm thank like, you,
0: Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so... I had so a note about that somewhere and I took it out and I was like, we'll just talk about it.
1: Yara's yeah, just like a zero-dimensional character then when you do that. It's like everything just goes back to the rape gangs, you know? I know. And it's like...
0: I <sighs> do appreciate them using the word rape because that's a mm-hmm. word that most people shy away from. And I, hmm. it, it struck me in this episode, for some reason I hadn't thought of it before, but I'm like, oh, it is pretty like intense that they're using that word you know and that they're not shying away from what it was but yeah it's also like like she has her cat appears and it's like oh that's cute that like she had a cat and then and then it's immediately linked to the rape gangs it's like guys come on and also the area that she was in, it's like, where is this clean, cute, orange, fluffy cat come from? And this like, they showed this like dirty, you know, just dingy place that she was living in anyway. <laughs> and she's like, run away. It's not safe. And it's like, I know. Wh- what? So like, did you literally just meet this cat and now you're making it run away? Or like, it just felt so wedged in and contrived yeah. just to be like, don't forget, you know, that she yep. was raped multiple times and it's like yeah we that's horrible we we are not forgetting that it's literally
1: the only point you've made about her except that she is conventionally attractive yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) and like when you think about that those are the two things we know about her that's pretty gross that she's attractive and And also that she was raped a bunch of times yeah um yeah i was pretty disappointed in that like it would have been nice to see literally even if it was back on that horrible planet that she was on like uh-huh. to see her you know have some kind of maybe she had a friend there or just just some other aspect of her life would have been nice to see but yeah it was just the same old shit yep and very like tr- like border- like tr- i could see that being very triggering to people just <laughs> Hearing right. that gang of men coming and, uh, and I don't know, I was just I like... I found it Geez. really
1: disturbing and I'm not a victim yeah. of that type of violence. And so I was just like, oh, that's just a gross thing to think about.
0: Yeah, in this otherwise kind of cute and, you know, not really that deep episode. Mm-hmm. I was just like, Jesus, guys, all right, like enough already.
1: So I would love to talk about what we learned about Picard a little bit more and that we've already alluded to it a little bit, like, but that tender scene with his mother. And just, um, I can't take credit for this, but a colleague of mine um, introduced me to the physicist Carlos Ravello. I believe he's Italian. And he's Mm. written a couple of like, you know, sort of like, like a, a modern day um, or a more, I don't know, modern day. I mean, Stephen Hawking was around for a long time, but like a, like a sort of Stephen Hawking type, like somebody who makes physics kind of accessible to the general reader. And he has a book that just came out, I think, in 2020 about time and how, you know, time basically doesn't exist. And I loved when Picard is talking to his, to his mother and this um this idea that his mother is still with him um like at the like the end of the universe versus the beginning of the universe type of a thing there there was something i I wish i would have written down the exact line but but he says something about it being the end of the universe and she's like this is the Mm -hmm. beginning of the universe Or something Mm. and and I was like I love that like like flipping that understanding of that like the people who have died it's not like they've ceased to be with us it's that they've started to be with us in a different way Mm. and I I thought that that was like a really kind of interesting way of looking at time um in in kind of a you know a, a thoughtful and emotionally interesting way but then of course Picard kind of ruins it by asking her about his mission. We're like, "Really, guy? Like you get to see you get to see Mama right here and like you're going to just go right back to like tell me about this mission." <laughs> <sighs>
0: yeah. Well, I mean, I did read that as him being like I like him not not allowing himself to get too far into mm. so that he could continue to be the captain yes and him also trying to stay rational about like i know this isn't my actual mother who's here mhm uh-huh. although it, i guess it could have been his actual mother that was there it, the episode left it a little nebulous of like was he actually engaging with his mother or was he engaging with like a projection of what he thought his mother would be like you Ooh, know what i mean
1: yeah
0: um but yeah, I kind of read it as his way of sort of trying to keep control over the situation, not get too lost in the the fantasy of like, oh, this is my mom who's here. But more like, OK, I'm the captain of the ship. I have to keep it together. And I'm assuming that this is not my actual mother, but this is like, you know, some kind of projection or trick or whatever.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um I did like that he was asking her, like, it it was, again, very subtle, but another kind of, to me, pretty progressive thing that it was his mom that was there that he was talking to because Mm -hmm. it softens him. Mm -hmm. And also he was sort of putting her in a position of authority of like, hey, you maybe know what's going on. Right. You know, and I just think in so many other shows that would have been a male relative yeah. instead of his mommy. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, know? that's a good point. And even calls her like mama, you know, uh-huh. like he calls uh-huh. her mom, uh-huh. inst- whatever. I just thought uh-huh. it was really cute that like she was the one that they picked um, for him. I thought that was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That they let him have that moment, but yeah, he definitely stayed like in my because uh, you know I watch each episode a few times before we talk about it. And in like my second viewing, I I was struck by like wow, he is really staying on point and on you know on mission while talking to her, even though he's all he's clearly like so like emotional over seeing her, but he he just kind of like stays on what's happening and like trying to figure stuff out. And I was like, damn, like you can take a minute to tell your mommy you love her. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? I know.
1: Like, <laughs> <laughs> and
0: just like have a have a, you know, you can have a second with her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that scene was just really really good. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like I was like, Picard needs more of this. Yeah. You know, like yeah. this was really interesting. Cause we don't know anything about him either. Like, I don't think we knew that his mom was dead until that scene so that was kind of cool like it was Uh a cool way to reveal to us a a detail about his life
1: yeah yeah i i I mean i just so enjoyed kind of the intermixing of the physical universe and the universe of ideas Mm -hmm. i just but i didn't really like how picard's answer to that was like we need to control our thoughts you know like i feel like there was a, a definite strong kind of sense of like And, 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 and you sort of got that with like his reality check with his, with his mother, but there's this strong kind of sense of like, I want to stay in control of everything. And it's like, I don't want to get too curious about what's going on. Like I want to hold all of my curiosity at an arm's length. And that was, um, you know, again, the, my, my favorite quote from the whole episode, best words of wisdom, um, (laughs) was when was when uh, the traveler says thought is the basis of all reality
0: yeah and i was
1: like ooh rich but right before that picard says to him what's the purpose of your journey and the traveler says curiosity and picard goes that's not an answer and i was like mm. i was like wait what like why how is that not an answer you know i well, mean especially
0: given the enterprise's uh, supposed admi- mission statement yeah like you think he would have been like oh us too like right. that's also why we do what we do
1: right exactly and so
0: interesting yeah
1: so i was just kind of like ah why why is that not
0: <laughs> ah
1: <laughs> ah
0: well and it was I, it's something that i wish they had found a way to spend more time on that philosophical concept because Uh and I agree with you like I think there were little nuggets in that episode like when they're talking to the traveler and you know uh Kaczynski's like you're asking us to believe in magic and he's like yeah I could like to you it probably does seem like magic and then Picard's like no I actually kind of get it Mm mm-hmm All of that together, like you would think that, yes, the episode instead of being about controlling your thoughts would have been about like, fuck, we kind of just learned some magic and we should lean into the power of that and how, yeah, how beautiful it is. And I could see, you know, an alternative ending for this episode could have been like Troy leading like a meditation circle to get everyone to like focus their thoughts to get them back home. And now it's mm-hmm. like, whoa, like we all kind of tapped into this power that we're aware of now. And we're going to go back and like no one's going to really understand or believe this. Yeah. And like we all kind of have this little bit of magic now that other people are just not going to be like, will not know how to wrap their heads around. And I think that's cool. You know, like that is really amazing. Yeah. Um, But that's not what happens. Yeah, it becomes like even the traveler says you're not supposed to be here yet. You're not supposed to be here till you learn control. Mm -hmm. And I can see like, yes, of course, you would need to learn control. But like it just made it seem. Almost this masculine message of like, oh, you can't be here till your mind is stronger. Right. Where it's like, well, no, when wouldn't it actually be that you would just need to accept that this is real uh-huh. and then lean into flowing with it not controlling it but like flowing with it and working with it and i think you know again you have a fucking half betazoid on the ship who you know her whole experience is just different than other people's and like probably has some understanding like she has to control what she's taking in all the time right and she has to control how much she's impacted by other people's thoughts so i feel like that would have been a cool way to use Deanna at the yeah. end to have her come in and be like, oh, yeah, like I can teach you some tricks that I have learned mm-hmm. of how to like be open but also not be overwhelmed.
1: Yeah. And they, you know, they, they like started dabbling in it with the where Picard tells all the crew members mm-hmm. on the Enterprise mm-hmm. to focus all their energy on helping the traveler. And I was like, that's kind of cool. Like, I like that idea, you know, because it's yeah, it's like you said, it's almost like a meditation circle or something. Um, and, like, the well-being in that whole thing. Um, you know, but it's, it's like what you said, like, you know, Starfleet has no understanding of time, apparently, and these <laughs> aliens had never visited them before because they've been so uninteresting. And mm-hmm. it's really cool because it combats the whole idea of Starfleet exceptionalism that the first four episodes just completely, you know, um, like, force-feed us. But then it doesn't end in this idea of curiosity, <laughs> you know, instead of ends with Picard saying, get back to your stations and focus on your tasks, you know, and it's like, yeah. wait, that sounds like a, you know, sixth grade teacher telling their kids to, you know, hey, sit at your desk and don't make a sound.
0: <laughs> well, and we're supposed to believe that they just get back home and then they're like, well, that was weird. And yeah. just go on with their lives. <laughs> Whew, dodged like a bullet Starfleet- there, didn't we guys? <laughs> like Starfleet (laughs) wouldn't be like, wait a minute, you traveled a billion light years and like, you know, a very short span of time, like we're going to put all of our resources behind figuring this out like that. That's a giant like I just don't I don't understand that they would just go back because we never hear about it again. So it's not like this seems like it would have changed, you know, Starfleet forever and they would have had um you know all of their scientists all of their philosophers working on this like oh fuck Mm -hmm. like time and space and thought are connected but we never hear about it again (laughs)
1: and that's that's that's, i think kind of what bothered me as like an ex-religious person is that was always it's like starfleet is kind of like this religion you know where like when when really wildly different information comes into the fold. It's not like we get curious about that, and we start saying like, "Oh, wow, that's different from what we have always believed and always thought." But you have an experience that's really real and valid, and we should we should explore that and be curious about how that's going to impact it. It's like, no, the answer is to control your thoughts, you know. And it's like, uh, yeah, I, I I really don't I don't like that, and I and I don't get that.
0: Yeah, I don't like it, and I don't get it either. I don't. Well, thank um, you. And it just reestablishes Starfleet as this like paramilitary, you yeah. know, operation rather than a scientific one. Which is, it's so annoying to try to talk about this stuff online because the fanboys will mm-hmm. always be like, "It's an exploration vessel, and they're science minded." And it's like they're not, though, because <laughs> like, right. if you fucking jump through space using thought. And then you come back home and then it's status quo. Like, you are not a science vessel. You are not Mm -hmm. an explorer. You're just, Mm -hmm. you're doing a government job, you know? Right, right. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it would have been just little scenes like when he, when Picard stumbles into that guy in the hallway that's, like, behind a wall of flames and is screaming, you know, and he's like, control your thoughts. (laughs) He just yells at him. You know, it just would have been cool if he was, like, uh, I don't know, like, had him, like, walk through the fire. Just something to kind of be like,
1: uh-huh. like,
0: like go with the flow. Like, go with the right. fact that this is your thought, but it also has this physical reality and, like, find uh-huh. a way. Like, maybe, like, have the flames part and you can walk through them. Or, I don't know, just, just something beyond, like, oh, stop thinking about it. Right. Um, and I can't remember what episode it's from, but one of my favorite data quotes is... Um, are you able to stop thinking on command? Because <laughs> yeah. someone tells him to like stop thinking about something, and he's like, "Are you able to stop thinking on command?" <laughs> and that that is like an alternative rating for this episode for me, uh, just for that one aspect of yes. like the card running around telling everyone to control your thoughts, and it's like, "Are you able to stop thinking on command?"
1: Yeah, well, that's a good rating.
0: Yeah. I wanted to note quickly the AMAB person, the person assigned male at birth uh-huh. uh, in address was back. So, oh, right. They, they were in the background. Yeah. Very briefly, but I was like, oh, like, <laughs> there they are.
1: There's our and, person.
0: Yeah. And that's my number one person that we never get to know uh-huh. that I am the most curious about. Like, what's uh-huh. your deal?
1: Uh-huh.
0: But I thought that was cool. It just. It's kind of like I don't know what they're doing with that, but it feels right. to me like they were trying mm-hmm. to queer up the show and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, like, let's just oh, this one person real quick. Like, we can't yep. get away with having them in the foreground, but we'll have them in the background. And I was like, yep. all right, I'll take it.
1: We also get like in this episode that, and, I, and maybe you were going to talk about this, but Wesley and the Traveler, but. Like, I mean, I teared up at the handhold at the end where Wesley's, Mm -hmm. like, holding his hand and, like, there's just this, like, very – I didn't get a vibe that it was, like, a sexual thing. It was just, like, a – it was just, like, a really – I felt, like, kind of, like, this intellectual but, like, sort of spiritual connection between these two beings and that Wesley, like, knew that this is a friend. But I don't know. Maybe you had different thoughts.
0: I definitely got queer vibes, but – I I agree with you that I don't think they were necessarily sexual. I think, to me, what came through is, like, an older person. And as, like, an older queer person, I feel like I could kind of identify with this. Of, like, this older person meeting a younger person that they see a truth about. Like, Mm -hmm. they see something in them that they may not have fully realized themselves yet. Uh And then the younger person kind of sensing like a connection yeah, and a similarity yeah. that they maybe can't quite explain. Yes. And having that form, this like immediate bond, uh-huh. which to me reads as very queer. Uh-huh. Um, and especially when he had that line about the dangerous nonsense. Yeah. And how like people weren't ready and he had to keep that to himself. Like uh-huh. that read is like a very queer, you know, um, even though the traveler doesn't strike me as a person who would tell you to hide yourself but for some reason that that was the the kind of narrative that came through is like this older person who's maybe seen some shit and is like concerned for the younger person's safety and is being like, you know, I see this in you and it's valid and it's beautiful, but also like you have to hide it and you mm. can't let people know because they're not because you literally said like they're not ready yet, especially yeah. for a boy your age. To hear yeah. this dangerous nonsense, and I was like, "Whoa, that was like the queerest line I've ever heard!" Like, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: I love that, yeah. And I and I love what you were saying about like the the connection that comes from like two people who recognize something in each other, and there's this like this sort of internal recognition that, and they maybe don't even know what that is, and it's maybe mm-hmm. like also in an episode that like convolutes the structures of time. You know, that it's like, yeah, yeah, on some other plane and some other universe, we have this connection with each other.
0: Yep, exactly. Um. Yeah, I thought it was pretty beautiful. And I mean queer in like a very broad way as well. I don't just mean like, oh, they're both gay. But I just mean Mm -hmm. that like two people who don't fit into like the cishet patriarchy, Mm -hmm. seeing that in one another, but neither maybe... Yeah. Like the younger person, especially not having truly like identified that specifically for themselves yet. Yeah. But picking up that like, oh, this person's like, like just being really seen, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. Wesley probably felt very seen by him immediately. And that was why he felt so connected to him right away and was so like concerned with his well-being. It's like, Mm. oh, wow, I don't know what it is, but I feel like this person like really fucking sees me. Mm hmm. And I was like, this is so great. That's so sweet. Yeah. (laughs) And in in an episode that seems to be challenging masculinity in a lot of different ways, like it it was a beautiful addition to that overall narrative, you know, like you have Kaczynski coming in and like, you know, being really arrogant and having all of that. You have Picard and Riker who like are not bad dudes, you know, and they have their moments, Mm -hmm. but they do struggle with kind of having this very traditional masculinity Mm -hmm. and then you have this alien who comes in and connects with the the soft little sweet boy on the ship who you know is is growing up in the midst of all of this and trying to find his way and it just was like really beautiful (sighs) to see that and have that kind of queer those queer vibes of you know just like yeah two people who see something in one another and and also that that Concern that you have as an adult for young queer kids where you Mm -hmm. just worry that they're going to get, you know, hurt or get beat up by the world and you're trying to protect them. But you also don't want them to feel ashamed for being who they are.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, we we love that and we we love that Wesley gets named Ensign at the end.
0: Yes. (laughs) It's so (laughs) cute. (laughs) Yeah, the way that Picard and Riker went about it, I'm like, this is slightly patronizing, but it's really cute. Like, they were just, like, chuckling the whole time, and it's like, well, sir, I don't know. You have this rule. Like, what are we going to do about it? And Picard's like, I know. Like, oh, shoot, I kind of forgot about it. It just was very (laughs) cute. And he's like, well, I guess, Wesley, we're just going to have to make you acting ensign. (laughs) And Wesley's little face, he's just so happy. Yeah. I wanted to just note. I think this is my last note. Yeah. But uh, data act, has acted completely different in every episode. Ah, uh, good point. So far. Yeah. So in this one, he he didn't get much screen time, so he didn't get much of his personality anyway. But um, I noticed that they never showed his thoughts manifesting. Mm. So I was like, because you know how he got like space drunk before. Right. <laughs> so I was yeah. like, is this one of the phenomenon that he is subject to or is not subject to? Right. And I was like, what would be the implications of that? Like, what the fuck would an android manifest yeah. in his thoughts? You know, but anyway, I just wanted to point out he's acted different. Like, they have not landed on his character at all yet. Yeah. Although I will say I fully enjoyed every variation so far. Mm-hmm. But he is always on this, like, weird spectrum of, like, android to human. Yeah. And every episode, he's just somewhere different on that spectrum, acting differently.
1: Which I think is, is kind of fun if you know, like, who he is, like, from watching mm-hmm. all the seasons. But I think, like, as somebody watching the show for the first time, you might be like, What? You
0: know? Yeah. Yeah, I've been trying to notice it. Like, if I was watching for the first time mm-hmm. now as an adult. Mm hmm what would i be taking from this and i would just think like this character is so poorly written cuz right. he's just all over the place yeah which would be fair i mean they really they really didn't know what to do with him for a while before they finally kind of like got his his whole thing down and to be fair when they do land on it he still is far more human than actual androids yes. but like in a way that i think serves his purpose in the overall Narrative quite well, Mm -hmm. and you know, obviously makes him like an extremely likable character. So, Mm -hmm. I I have no problems with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I had so many favorite quotes from this episode, (laughs) 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 but I tried to narrow it down. Okay, okay, why is this child here? Definitely was one of my top quotes. The way the actor delivered that line was chef's kiss, perfect. Yes, (laughs) he's just like, Why is this child here? Yeah, um. And one of my favorite quotes was from Wesley, Mm -hmm. which is, my name is Wesley, Commander Riker. Ah, yes, (laughs) I had
1: that one too. I was like, go, Wesley.
0: (laughs) And that's the thing. Can we talk about... My boy Wesley is also quite spicy. Yeah. He may be soft and sensitive, but he will absolutely clap back at someone oh, in a Oh, yeah, he will. Yeah. And he will speak up. Like, it, you saw it in this episode mm-hmm. where Picard was like, revive him and bring him to engineering. And Wesley was like, no. Yeah. Like, he just, to the captain, like, jumped in the room. And he was like, absolutely not. This <sighs> guy is too weak. You yes. know, and he was just arguing with Picard. Yes. So that's one of my favorite things about Wesley is, like, he will speak up to defend himself and especially to defend other people so he's not i mean not to say that like i don't want to judge someone who has a hard time speaking up that certainly was me when i was younger Mm -hmm. but i just think it's really cool that they wrote him to be so soft and caring and curious but he also is like a badass oh yeah like he will absolutely speak up Yeah, yeah he doesn't let people get away with shit yeah and so, yeah, that was one of the many times Riker called him the boy. And mm-hmm. Wesley was like, My name is Wesley Commander Riker. I know. I love that. And I was that. like, Okay. And I think Riker was like, I know Wesley.
1: No, it's Picard. <laughs> he goes, I know. We all know.
0: And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like Dude, that. fuck you, Picard. Oh and my it's gosh. like, well, Then call him then that. Then call him that. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, yeah. So your episode rating was maybe feels wonderful. I'm, I'm getting a, sense of it. It being. feels.
1: Quite wonderful. That's, Quite wonderful. That, that, was my, that was my rating for this episode.
0: My rating, um, up until now, if you'll forgive this, you've been uninteresting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God.
1: Oh, my God. I don't even know why I bothered trying to rate it. That's just so much better.
0: <laughs> I was typing out oh. my favorite quotes. That was definitely one of one of them. And I was like... Oh, like this is how I feel about the show. That is
1: so appropriate.
0: Right? (laughs) Up until
1: now you've been quite uninteresting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You'll forgive me for saying it. But yeah, you've been pretty uninteresting. I also like the the first part of it with like what what wonderful arrogance. Yeah,
1: yeah, what (laughs) wonderful arrogance. Oh. oh
0: my god. Well, this was a lot of fun, friend. I we were both so excited to talk about this episode. Yes. Next uh, episode Yeah, I was gonna ask what's oh up
1: what's up on our next what's up next? What do we got going here?
0: Next episode, season one, episode six, Lonely Among Us, mm-hmm. um, is the one where they provide transportation to two arguing delegations who cannot get along.
1: Oh, I remember this one, yeah.
0: Which I remember, I don't remember it well enough to know what our analysis is going to be, but I mm-hmm. think we're going to get pulled back into some political stuff, unfortunately. I think we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I think we're going to see. I feel there's like a patronizing tone of like, oh, these two species can't get along and we, uh-huh. you know, humans have to be here to kind of like, you know, oversee the situation.
1: There's going to be a strong like arbiter of neutrality white guy vibe. Mm -hmm. If if I'm Mm -hmm. remembering correctly, but uh, I I could be I could be off base, but.
0: Yeah, that's my recollection Uh. as well. So we'll see. Hopefully we can still have some fun.
1: We always do. Maybe
0: there's going to be some good moments. I mean, we always have fun. Yeah. So, yeah, but that's that's what we're doing next time. So tune in for that. Okay. All right, everyone. We'll see you then.
1: Bye.
0: Bye. Thanks for joining us today on our mission, comrade. To keep this galaxy-class starship chugging along, we need your help. If you like the show, consider supporting us by leaving us a good review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. Follow us on Instagram, share us with your friends, promote us on social media, or become a financial supporter of the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collective. Now, get off my ship.